This is Ballot Box, the Pointer's ongoing coverage of the upcoming municipal election. Reporting today, the Pointer's Joel Whitnable with your host, Sam Graywall. With the Ontario election now over and done with and all the post-mortems have been pretty much wrapped up, we are turning our attention to the municipal election. It's a little bit early, but I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it a couple more times. We're taking July and August off from both of our podcasts. So we want to start setting up in September. We're going to really dive into the municipal election. It's October 24th. We have the pointers Joel Whitnable with us today. He's going to talk with me about what we are looking at what we want to focus on in Peel with the upcoming municipal election and why, you know, with the provincial election and such a, such a strong PC majority for a second mandate, why it makes the municipal election that much more important. A lot of people are saying it's going to be critical that local governments act as a bit of a guardrail against this very steamroller-like PC government that's going to be coming in for the 43rd Parliament. Joel, what are you going to be looking for when we cover the municipal election on October 24th and leading up to it? What are the main things that you're going to focus on? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are are already, you know, we're months away and there's already storylines that are starting to shape up just in terms of the candidates that have already registered. Obviously, the questions are going to be circling around Brampton in particular with what's going on with uh, Mayor Patrick Brown. He's, you know, signaled that Brampton is his third choice in terms of what he would like to do. Obviously, he wants to win the CPC leadership. And if that doesn't work out, he'd like to run as an MP, but not if the Pierre Poitier campaign wins. And then if neither of those two campaigns or those plans work out, he says he'll run for the mayor of Brampton. So there's obviously a big question mark around that and a big question mark around whether if he does win, and it opens up a big vacancy in Brampton for the mayorship, who will step up to replace that. And, you know, there's similar storylines already coming out in Mississauga as well. We have a couple of retirements with both longtime councillors Pat Sato and, and George Carlson both announcing that they're not going to be running. And so obviously that opens up two wards that don't have an incumbent, which is a significant advantage for somebody looking to make their jump to, to the municipal level. Obviously, I think we're seeing that in Ward 9, where Sato has, has announced her retirement, we have, you know, Noka DeCrube, who's a trustee right now for the PDSB, announcing that she's trying to make the jump to City Hall politics. But at the same time, we have Bob Delaney, who was a longtime a former MPP in Mississauga, I think for almost 20 years, who has announced that he's running now in Ward 9 as well. So there's a lot of interesting races like that. And then, you know, I could go on in Caledon too, where Thompson, Mayor Allen Thompson, has announced he's not running. And we have two councillors, uh, Annette Groves and, and Jennifer Ennis, who have both announced their intentions to run for the mayorship. So I, I think just in terms of the dynamics around these council tables, obviously a lot's going to be changing uh, after the October election. Yeah, and uh, in Mississauga, there's there's even more drama because you have Karen Ross who had vacated her seat. She resigned. It's it's being filled in by former longtime Mississauga councillor Pat Mullen. But on October 24th, there'll be a new councillor, and then Ron Starr uh, in Ward Six. You know, no one really knows what's going to happen. We've got the really tense situation with the harassment allegations that are hanging over his head. He 
denies the allegations made by Karen Raz, the former counselor. But, you know, so you could potentially see two more. Well, for sure, you'll see uh, one more seat open up because Karen Raz has stepped down. And yeah, Star has gone, not registered as a candidate. Yeah, Ron Star so hasn't registered as a candidate. Yeah, it remains yeah. unclear. A lot of the others have. You know, right. obviously Crombie has, has announced she's going to be running for the mayorship again. And then pretty much all the other councillors, save for the two that we've said are retiring, have put forward their candidacy again for, for re-election, save for, for Star. So he's still a, a question mark. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's going to be crucial, in my opinion, that voters know well ahead of October 24th. What exactly happened with this situation? Karen Rass having her car keyed or allegedly keyed. I don't think there's any dispute that the car was keyed, but what we don't know is who did it. She alleges Ron Starr was behind it. He has stated quite aggressively through lawyers that he did not do it. He denies the allegations against him. I really hope, you know, the constituents in Ward 6 in Mississauga get some answers if Ron Starr decides to run again. Uh, it would be a shame if constituents, voters in that ward had to go to the ballots without the answers to this burning question about, you know, what happened with Karen Rass and is what was Ron Starr's role? Did he have anything to do with it? Like I said, he denies any involvement or he denies the allegations against him. And I, I hope the integrity commissioners report the investigation into all of this comes out. The situation right now is that Ron Starr has filed an injunction request with the court to prevent the integrity commissioner's investigation report from coming out publicly. The city is now fighting Ron Starr's legal action. So the city is trying to prevent him from taking that, that legal action. But switching over to Brampton, you know, you mentioned Patrick Brown, like it's, it's really terrible what's, what's happening. There's no secret. Anyone who follows the pointer knows our position on Patrick Brown. We gave him a fair shake at the beginning of the term. You know, we've always reported on him objectively, fairly. We're the only media outlet that gave him a fair chance back in 2018 because the allegations that had been brought forward when he was head of the PC Party of Ontario, those were never proven in court. They were very serious allegations. We certainly don't want to undermine or downplay, you know, what the two young women who came forward have alleged, you know, if their allegations are true. And those allegations still stand, you know, the two young women who brought those forward in 2018, they have not rescinded those allegations. They stand by them. And Patrick Brown denies it. But again, it hasn't been proven in court. That issue hasn't been settled. You know, since Brown came to Brampton, we've been reporting on him and he's just been a disaster for Brampton, just completely abusing the taxpayers. Now we have, you know, the Rebel News video over the weekend. And you can say what you want about the Rebel News. Like, you know, we don't have any skin in the game in terms of other media outlets. Um, the Rebel News, in my opinion, when they go out and take documented video footage of certain things, it, it serves as evidence. You know, there, there was nothing refuting what they captured when they clearly showed Patrick Brown breaking all the rules, you know, going to a hockey arena in Brampton, 
you know, that was supposed to be shut down, but apparently he had been opening it up for all of his buddies to play when they weren't even supposed to be in there. Meanwhile, children and kids and youth hockey and everyone else who wanted to skate, they were prevented because they were locked out, you know, shut out, you know, from playing hockey. And here's Patrick Brown as the Rebel News captured on video, clearly, you know, going to play hockey with his buddies, opening up an arena, abusing his power as the mayor to violate the rules and have some fun, you know, with his friends. And now we've got the Rebel News video from the weekend, which, in my opinion, it's even worse. Well, I don't know which one is worse. I mean, it's abuse of the Brampton taxpayer all around. But the latest video shows him in a in an office that he's using in Vaughn for his CPC leadership campaign. And lo and behold, the Rebel documents at, at least two staffers' vehicles. So Brampton City Hall staffers paid by the taxpayers of Brampton. Their vehicles are sitting at Patrick Brown's campaign office in Vaughan, where he's basically running his war room and directing his campaign to become the CPC leader federally, the Conservative Party leader. You know, so his national political ambitions, you know, which he's supposed to be paying for out of his own pocket, lo and behold, the Brampton taxpayers paying for it. You know, with with staff that, you know, he's not even allowed that that's illegal. It's it's a violation of Brampton bylaws. He can't use staff to run his national to work on his national leadership campaign, you know, and, you know, he won't answer questions. He won't explain like what their vehicles were doing there. You know, and I don't buy this business, you know, when they say, oh, you know, we were doing it on our own hours. Oh, we were just volunteering. B.S. You weren't volunteering. You know, you were there on the taxpayer's dime. You're supposed to be working for the taxpayers. You're employed at City Hall. Your cars are sitting in this office in Vaughn, you know, where Patrick Brown is running his CPC leadership campaign from. You know, so clearly the guy has no interest in Brampton. Like you said, Joel, he tells, you know, the CBC in this interview that he didn't even say it's, it would be his third choice. He said if he doesn't win the CPC leadership, number one. Number two, if Jean Charest or Les Than Lewis don't win and pull him up to Ottawa in some capacity, then his third choice, he might consider running for mayor again. You know, and it's like, well, you just use Brampton City Hall as your personal play place, you know, to run your first, it was Peter McKay's campaign in 2020, which Patrick Brown clearly had some sort of a deal that was struck with Peter McKay. And we, we have the evidence, like clear evidence, screen grabs of messages that Brown was sending to senior staff, directing them, ordering them to work on Peter McKay's leadership campaign in 2020. And now we've got video evidence from the rebel. He's doing the same thing, directing staff or having staff working for his own CPC leadership campaign. And we could we could go down the list of all the other things he's done to abuse Brampton taxpayers, but we won't right now. We'll get into those things later on, like in, in September and October. But you know, I just really hope that Brampton wakes up and whoever it is that contests the mayor's race in Brampton, I hope voters and taxpayers there have an option after they were just absolutely abused, just completely mistreated by Patrick Brown for the last four years. They saved his political career and then he just stepped on them. He just like literally stomped right on them. And and I and I really hope on October 24th, Brampton voters just send this guy packing, you know, and if he loses in Ottawa, maybe his career in politics should end. Judging by his conduct, judging by the things that he does, 
the flat out lies that he tells. Like one thing I'm glad of, about, you know, with the CPC leadership campaign is that the other candidates, especially Pierre Polyevra's team, they're calling out Patrick Brown for all of his lies, just flat out lies that he tells over and over. We've documented many of them, you know, and we're going to keep documenting them, you know, so I really hope that at least in terms of municipal government, October 24th puts an end to Patrick Brown's career, uh, at least in Brampton. Maybe he'll find another municipality to go, you know, and, and abuse and use for his other political ambitions. Maybe he'll leave Brampton and, you know, hopefully taxpayers can recover from all the carnage and wreckage that he's caused. We'll get into lots of stuff that he's done. Um, Joel, what about Caledon? Pretty fascinating dynamics up there as well, especially given all of the developer-driven issues. Yeah, the next council is going to definitely have their hands filled because we just had the recent news in the last couple of days that the Caledon Council has delayed approving their official plan until after the municipal election. So that's going to be a responsibility of the next council. So that is essentially the document that is going to guide the decision-making around growth and the future planning for Caledon for the next 30 years or more. So that that's going to be obviously one of the big things that the next council is going to have to handle. And and like I said before, obviously with, with the longtime mayor, Alan Thompson, stepping aside and retiring, it's opened up uh, an opportunity with two councillors now who are, are vying for that position. And I think, you know, we have two councillors with very, very different views about how Caledon should be planned and run with Councillor Annette Groves, leaning more towards the, the smart growth side of things and Councillor Innes, who has long connections with the development industry and has been not very kind to environmental decision-making, despite being the chair of the Toronto Region Conservation Authority, the largest conservation authority in Ontario. That race is going to be one to watch because the outcome of that is going to have massive implications for the town of Caledon for the next uh, for the next decade, or at least over the next term. And with the decision-making that's going to happen over that term, setting the stage for, for what's to come over the next decades in Caledon is significant. But we also have, you know, the council races that are also very interesting. You know, we have some councillors, like I believe Lynn Kiernan has registered to run again in the, the Ward 1 area as the area councillor, same with Tony Rosa in Ward 5. And I believe councillor Joanna Downey and Christina Early are now, are now actually vying for the same position and so I, I think that there's a lot to watch there. And there's a couple question marks in terms of Councillor Ian Sinclair and, and DeBoer who have not registered yet. So I'm not sure if they're going to be running. But I, I think to your point, Sam, I think the voters need to be cognizant that the people that they're electing to those positions are going to be making massive decisions about the town's future, especially as it relates to development and growth for the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years even. Yeah, and let's be crystal clear. Jennifer Innes is a pro-development counselor. It couldn't be more clear. She has pushed everything that the big developers have wanted to do in over the last four years, even prior to that. She's basically working for the developers, not for the Caledon residents. Just go look at her record. You know, she's pushed the 413 highway because the developers have assembled all the land, you know, are demanding that from someone like her and from Alan Thompson, who again, you know, I mean, Alan Thompson, you know, he sold family land to developers right along the highway corridor. Jennifer Innes, uh, her family has 
large amounts of property whose value would increase dramatically, like two, three, four, five, even 10 times if the highway project is approved and if other types of developer-driven sprawl uh, is, is approved. So she's, I don't even know how she could frankly run for mayor, given how much of a conflict of interest she's in. She's continued to participate in votes and be in a conflict, in my opinion, throughout the whole term. So I guess she doesn't really care about the rules. But uh, yeah, so she's just the latest pro developer. She's going to do whatever the big developers want as mayor. She's going to push their agenda, whether it's encroaching on the green belt, more sprawl, eating up more farmland to pay off these developers who've already assembled all the property. Annette Groves is saying, no, growth should be done in a smart way. It should be done for the citizens. It should protect habitat. It should protect the green belt. It should be done in a more balanced way. That's her mandate. Uh, she also wants to run on a lot of issues around the health and well-being of Caledon residents. So it's pretty clear. You can hear it in my voice. I'm, I'm not going to pull any punches. I would have a hard time supporting Jennifer Innes over Annette Groves. I think Annette Groves uh, would be you know, a really good mayor up in Caledon. And I'm stating that because we've made our position at the pointer clear on this, that Caledon does not need a pro-developer politician in the mayor's seat. So what I'm saying is no surprise. We've written dozens and dozens of articles about it. Jennifer Innes stands against environmental policies, against climate change initiatives to reduce uh, emissions. She has pushed the 413 highway. She's pushed encroachment into the green belt. She's pushed massive development. And I don't mind saying it. Some people might say, oh, I'm biased then. How can you follow our coverage? Blah, 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 whatever. Hey, we will present it factually. Everything I'm saying, the reason I'm saying all this is because we have reported on the facts. We have shown how she has voted. We've shown her comments in council. We've shown what she has done to completely ignore you know, smart growth principles to ignore sustainable initiatives. She's ignored climate change initiatives, you know, uh, emissions reductions initiatives. And again, you know, same thing as I said, you know, about Patrick Brown, I'm making no secret of the fact that, you know, the pointer's position is someone like that is not good for the taxpayers of Caledon. Anyway, Joel, I think that'll do it for this week. As I said, we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple of more shows before the summer hits and we take a break in July and August, but we'll really ramp up. We'll bring in lots of guests and a lot of coverage starting in September ahead of the October 24th election. Joel Whitnable of The Pointer, thanks for being with us. To all of you, thanks for listening. We hope you join us next week on Ballot Box. Box was hosted by Sam Graywall with the pointers Joel Whitnable, produced by yours truly. Join us next week for continuing coverage of the upcoming municipal election. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. Talk to you then.